Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Uh, this week, I'm excited to be back, uh, feeling the need for all the love that the podcast provides. I hope you all are too. Uh, this is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah. Here we are. How is your week going, Kara? What's new? It's going well. Super crazy busy, but I guess that's a good thing. There's a lot of hap- things happening in climate action all over the place. It seems like I feel like the conversations are really less like, how do we do this? And more along the lines of how can we scale this? And that's pretty exciting and promising. So I'm, I'm in a good mood. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, sometimes it just takes feeling like you're doing the work. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, I get it. Um, I, I'm, I'm also feeling totally like I have a lot to do. Um, like we, we collectively have a lot going on in, the, in, our, in our world and <laughs> our movement right now. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's good and bad. It means for me, starting a new thing, it's hard to get people's attention when you're in these phases of, of, of busy, you know? Um, yeah. And it's always hard to get people's attention on new things, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that a little bit this week. Like, man, I just need people to respond to my emails. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. I guess I feel like I've maybe, one of the things I've been blessed to learn in my career is that like, sometimes you're on the giving end and sometimes you're on the taking end and hopefully like if you, you know if you manage it well you come out even around. yeah for <laughs> um, sure and right now i'm on the taking end and i feel it <laughs> but you know yeah but uh, you've built you have you've built up all that capital in your past experiences so it should be it should be coming around for you i think <laughs> Yeah, it, it generally does. I, I mean, I feel I feel that I feel the love, um, but but it is it's something I think um, uh, when in our startup, my startup uh, days, my uh, my friend and collaborator, Dave Kirkland, had to tell me that sometimes you have to spend your political capital, like sometimes you have to spend it. <laughs> like the yes. reason that you have all these good relationships is so that you can then use them to like do things and make the difference in the world. And just because everybody doesn't think you ever ask anything of them doesn't mean that that's a good thing. You know? <laughs> right. Totally true. Totally yeah. true. That's a, le- a good lesson for me as well. Yeah, totally. You've got all sorts of capital built up, all sorts of favors. <laughs> I, I, I think you should just go on a rampage and be like, all right, people, I want it. I want some love. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, speaking of uh, emotional um, <laughs> needs and our abilities to communicate those, I think we should go ahead and get started with our guest for today, who I'm super excited is here with us. Uh, we have Dr. Renee Lertzman with us. Renee, welcome to the show. Hello. So happy to be here with you both. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, so we, it's going to be kind of a special episode. I'm very excited about it. Um, so Renee is a researcher, educator, and strategist who uses psychological insights to change our approach to the environmental crisis. She works with companies and organizations to strengthen climate and sustainability initiatives, develop effective campaigns, and harness the creativity and innovation needed to solve big problems. And if you haven't heard of Renee before, um, 
I would recommend checking out her TED Talk after you hear the podcast. Um, it's uh, basically around um, issues of climate anxiety. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today in the podcast, which I'm super excited about. But yeah, I just wanted to say, I think um, she's been someone that has inspired me a lot and I know has inspired many, many people. And we are so excited that we get to have her on the pod today to talk about all of her incredible work. So thank you, Renee, for joining us. This is going to be fun. Um, and we just wanted to start off uh, with your story, if you can tell us a little bit about how and why you got involved in the climate movement. You have an interesting path, so tell us about it. Sure, thank you. So it really started for me very early on when I was an undergraduate in college, and I actually was on a track to become a psychologist. I was you know, always just knew on some level that um, I was interested in psychology. And I started out with that focus and I happened to enroll in an environmental studies class uh, as an elective at UC Santa Cruz back in the late 1980s. And what happened was my experience of learning about an array of environmental uh, threats, issues, um, that were directly um, as the result of humans, human behavior, human practices. Um, the, the impact of that was such that I, I immediately felt like one, very distressed. Um, I, I had what I think is a very normal and healthy response, which is, wow, like this is incredibly intense and upsetting and distressing. And then, you know, that, that, surreal moment of coming out of a lecture hall and and then everyone's just kind of going around kind of day to day and then I would go into my psychology classes and there really wasn't any acknowledgement or recognition of uh, what's happening you know on the environmental front which in my mind at the time was you know really about existential challenges so so I experienced a disconnect. And I became very curious about the disconnect um, as well as just wrestling with and navigating my own responses of feeling overwhelmed and anxious and um, at times inspired and mobilized, but just kind of going through all of that, that whole cycle of different ways of responding. And so I, for whatever reason, I just became very clear um, from, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, that this was what I was going to do. I was, I wanted to understand on a deep level, what are the psychological dimensions of our work on, uh, climate and environmental, um, action. And so that led me into all kinds of, um, you know, different journeys and experiences uh, and training. Um, you know, I, I went in the direction of communications initially because um, to me, this question is so much about how do we communicate, uh, whether it's in media or education, uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, you're an organization designing a campaign um, or, you know, uh, what, whatever that is, it, it so much is about how we communicate. 
And so I, I focused initially on environmental communication. I did a master's degree in that at UNC Chapel Hill. And I worked with an amazing uh, mentor, Robbie Cox, who was at the Sierra Club president at the time. So I was already very interested in how we bridge research with practice. So I, I tended to work with, with researchers who had really robust research um, agendas and grants and all that, but they also had lives uh, working in very applied settings in, in different sectors. Um, so I, I kind of went into the, the communication angle and then shifted as I came out of that master's degree and started really working actively with, with different organizations. Um, I realized that I wanted to go deeper and I wanted to really understand from a different perspective, you know, more about inaction in a way. Like I was really curious about w why is it that it seems that a small number of people seem to get it and, and are trying to make change happen. And, and the majority of people are sort of, you know, not really engaging or, or um, as open to this. And so that led to um, my going ahead with an advanced degree. So I ended up doing a PhD in the UK. And the training that I was able to have in the UK was quite unique um, in that, again, I was working with, with, a, with researchers who were both, you know, very established um, research academics, but also in this case had clinical psychology practices. So a lot of these folks were clinicians um, and yet they, they ran you know, significant research um, studies. And so that really um, was quite profound. And I then you know, sort of uh, modeled my work along those lines where you know, it's really looking at how do we take what works in the, the psychological realm and the clinical realm and how, what does that look like if we translate that and turn it into, in, into strategies and practices that, that, you know, people can use no matter what sector that they're in. And so um, the, the focus of my PhD was, was what I called the myth of apathy and really wanting to understand what's going on with people who show up as apathetic, what, what's actually happening. And, you know, as you can tell with a name like the myth of apathy, um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot more to the story than what meets the eye. And, um, and so since then, you know, uh, soon after the PhD, you know, I had a fellowship actually at Portland State University for a while. And then I, and then I launched to work with organizations, and that's what I've been doing since about 2011 now. Renee, so much of that resonates with me. I'm, it's just fascinating. I feel like, well, I'd be surprised if anyone listening to this podcast has not experienced that disconnect that you mentioned in, uh -huh. in like a profound way at somewhere along, well, or maybe even daily. Sometimes I think it is literally a daily thing in this work because there are whole sector, you know, whole groups of people that we all encounter that are not addressing this and or even understanding it in a way that seems a little foundational to, to others of us. So it, that, I'm so interested to hear you talk about it that way. And of course, it's also fascinating to me that you sort of came 
to your work with the, with that communications uh, foundation as well. And I wanted to ask you um, if you could talk a little bit about something. You know, what am, what what are you most proud of accomplishing in your in your work life in the last while? Wow, that's a great question. Um, well, I would say there's three things I'm most proud of. Um, one is I am proud of the book that I published um, that was based on my PhD called Environmental Melancholia. And it is a very academic text. So I'm not expecting anyone to read it, especially those who aren't academics, but I'm proud of it because um, it's actually, I think, a significant piece of work that advances a different way of understanding and looking at the psychology of climate change and, and, um, and action. I would say the second thing I'm most proud of is Project Inside Out, which I imagine we're gonna be talking about a bit more in depth. Um, project Inside Out is a, is a project that I launched with the support of the KR Foundation, um, who granted uh, me this um, you know, opportunity to design a, a hub, um, to design some resources, online resources, um, that pulls so much of this body of work I've been developing for a few decades into um, some tools and frameworks and resources. Um, that are very relevant and super um, applied. And, and we've, we, we, Project Inside Out involved working with a group of psychological advisors. Um, and it also involved working with a number of organizational partners who were piloting and testing out our work in highly applied settings and finding just incredible results and impact. So really proud of that. And then I would say the third thing I'm proud of is um, the work I'm currently doing, um, which is um, pretty amazing um, partnerships with a range of organizations, including um, Google and um, some climate foundations and some governmental agencies. I'm, I'm just really proud of the way that I've been able to evolve this work through my deep, deep partnerships and collaborations with so many different organizations over the past couple of decades and teaching as well and speaking and that it's, it's so much a result of those, um, those collaborations that, that every, you know, when I work with orgs, it's always like, well, what can we do together, you know? And right now um, I'm feeling really excited about the work and I'm feeling you mentioned scale in your conversation. Um, I'm super excited about the opportunity to scale this in ways that I never could have imagined before. That is so exciting. Um, I'm I'm really interested in well both the work you're doing with the organizations and, of course, I have spent a little time on the Project Inside Out website and learning more about that. And which I really would like for you to talk, if you could, a little bit about one of the concepts that's mentioned there, and it's also um, referenced in your TED talk, I think, which is this idea of attunement. Um, it's a key argument you make around climate anxiety. Can you explain that a little bit for our listeners? Sure. So attunement is a core concept in uh, clinical psychology and in the neuroscientific realm. So if you pick up a book about you know, uh, clinical practice, um, 
the 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 baseline of any viable um, therapeutic relationship, and frankly, any really any functional relationship, is about attuning. So attunement is when we have the ability to actually um, feel with and be connected and be attuned with the other and our ability to, to express that, to uh, convey that. So attunement is that sense of um, we're in this, we're connected, we're in relationship, um, that my experience is registering with you. And why this is so important for work on the environment and climate and sustainability is because for many of us working on these issues who are trying to advance significant change, it is very hard when you have a change agenda to be attuned to the other. Um, because what we tend to be most focused on is trying to drive uh, our outcomes and to move things forward. And, and so the, the impact of that is that we, unintentionally are not very skilled at um, the level of, of, I guess you could say stakeholder engagement and partnership that is needed right now. So um, when we look at attunement and what does it mean to be attuned, the way that I approach this is, is starting with um, one, attuning with ourselves. So attuning with ourselves, being in touch with our own frustration, um, our own uh, emotional state, our own um, high stakes, right? Like this, the sense of urgency that we have and being able to, to develop um, the ability to regulate ourselves. Like that's a kind of neurological term, right? Of kind of how do we regulate our nervous system so that we stay grounded and centered and, and productive and all of that. But then what's really important is our ability to be attuned with others. And I don't just mean one-on-one, -on -one, you know, interaction. I mean, attuned with our users, with our audiences, with our stakeholders, with our, um, you know, you, you name it. And, and that takes us very quickly into really recognizing the anxieties that these issues can bring up for people. So I, I, you know, I talk about the three A's on Project Inside Out, anxiety, ambivalence, and aspiration is sort of a, the, the most distilled way of thinking about um, ways that we can practice attunement, which is to take a step back and think about, okay, I'm working on this initiative, I'm working on this new standard, I'm working on whatever that is, what might anxieties Th this may bring up for people and, you know, what might I be overlooking, right? Like, like change is hard, change is threatening, change is overwhelming, even if it's really positive change or beneficial change. So, so attunement is about really dialing in on what are those A's and being able to then bring that into our work to be able to acknowledge and let people have their experience and, and to, to have space for that. And, and that that's, it's really the basis of um, transformational change, right? There's all different ways of driving change, 
there's also policies and you know um incentives and um nudges and all these different ways of of going about this and we need all of them but what what we really need right now is to be um bringing in sort of a best practice of how can i be an attuned practitioner the attuned practitioner maybe <laughs> maybe that's my book, new book title <laughs> um <laughs> I might have just landed it. <laughs> um, but that's that's what we're needing right now. Yeah, yeah, I love this. And I and I was actually hoping you could talk a little bit more about like how that plays out in the in the workplace. Because I, I you know, as a as a person who cares about climate, it's it's actually easier for me to understand how that plays out like at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you know, dealing with people's emotions and thinking through how they react. But the reality is I probably spend a lot more time with that type of dynamic um, in my work. And then that's, and, and I think that's probably true of our listeners. So I'm, could you say a little bit more about sort of how you work with companies um, or how you work with people in a business context to mm -hmm. learn how to use these, these skills? Right. Well, so my preferred way of working with organizations is partnering with teams who are um, embedded in an organization and they are um, change makers essentially or entrepreneurs. So that could be a sustainability team, it could be champions or ambassadors, um, you know, task forces, but I'm very much about building capability and skills with teams uh, and leaders who are in positions where they're needing to be more effective at driving change. Um, and that can be all the way from um, designing a strategy and how do you socialize and roll out a strategy in a way that's emotionally intelligent, that actually recognizes and acknowledges that, you know, what might these, these initiatives bring up for people or um, having those more complicated discussions about uh, resistance to change and trade-offs and all of that. Um, but it also has a lot to do with um, how organizations and teams design their ways of driving change. So, you know, um, I might look, I might do more of an audit of, okay, how are you communicating right now? And what are your, your theories of change? Um, well, we do these presentations, we give these talks, we, you know, and, and, and I might then offer some input on, well, have you considered um, a round, more of a roundtable approach or a cohort approach or, you know, forums that, that are much more conversational and much more um, interactive than how a lot of experts, specialists and experts are used to showing up and doing their work in the business setting. Um, and that can, and then it could go all the way to really focus coaching and advising on, um, you know, stakeholder engagement, um, you know, um, how you show up in a meeting with a senior leader. Um, it can really cover the, the spectrum there. But, you know, as far as um, 
how this is applied. I also work with groups and we, we, we might meet over a, you know, a duration of time and kind of run a bit of a, what I would call a container where we look at what our theories of change are and, and go on a bit of a journey that is similar to the project inside out journey of the five guiding principles. Um, starting with what kind of change maker are you, where are you in the quadrant and the theory of change quadrant, and then going through those five guiding principles. Um, but I'm curious to, to invite, turn this back on you all a bit to, we could actually talk it out. Like, what is a context you're working with right now, you know, where you're seeking to drive change um, and, and go from there. And then I can, <laughs> I can yeah. offer some, some context for, for what this might look like. Yeah, I, I love this. It reminds me, it actually brings me back to college. My, my, my advisor there was like this very, he's a guy named David Orr. He's well known in our, our community um, for writing about environmental issues. And I, I asked him um, during the time I was there, if he would teach a class to basically help us become more convincing about the importance of hmm. dealing with climate change. And he like, he totally rejected it. And um, he, he's the kind of guy who like has a lilting Southern accent and he's like, just speaks with all of the confidence of a white man. Yeah. And like, it, and, and I, and I didn't understand that at that age that like part of why he was so convincing was, was um, you know, hmm. structural and <laughs> mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, but it's, but I, what I love is that you're, you, you are doing that thing that I asked him for <laughs> you know, 20 years ago. And I think for me, one of the things that's interesting right now, I'm essentially trying to start a, a nonprofit organization that is, it's, it's all about inspiring people and, um, and getting them mobilized and into sort of collective action. Um, so, uh, you know, th there's a model there around social movements and things like that. Um, and I'm not a, I don't think of myself and I don't, I don't usually feel comfortable being the sort of person out in front trying to inspire. I'm more of a mediator, like to get, you know, get the group together and, you know, make sure all the voices are heard type of person, make sure that, you know, all, all the, all, all the things are, um, I don't know, just like logistics. I'm an operator. I like to make sure we uh -huh. know what we're doing. And, and so, um, so part of my my challenge that I have right now is, uh, do I become a different type of change maker, or do I just continue to embrace my youngest hmm. child mediator self? Because people like to see the confident, charismatic leader, and that is such a thing in our industry, and it's part of what we talk about here on the podcast. That like a lot of our leaders in sustainable, you know, in the sustainable buildings community. Are, are white men and they're very dynamic. Um, and that's been, that is, we're so comfortable with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, that's a challenge for me personally to figure out how to, um, whether you, you use that style of leadership or you try to figure out how to make your style work in the context you're in, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, where I'm coming from is all about really celebrating and building on what our strengths and gifts are. So, you know, it's not about trying to become something else, but I really believe that the more we show up as fully ourselves and, 
as openly and transparently as ourselves, including the vulnerability. And, you know, like I've been doing more writing about what leadership looks like. My, my fantasy of climate leadership um, is a vulnerable kind of leadership where you are able to name um, where you're growing and where your edges are and um, that you don't have all the answers, but that, but that, you know, we all have the answers and, um, and that that's why you're leading the charge, so to speak. So it's a kind of message of, you know, I'm doing, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm showing up. And I believe that, you know, um, each of us has a vital contribution to make. And here's my, here's my version of that, or here's my take on that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that, that is certainly the, the aim. It's funny, I think, I think as women, I, I, I try to model this, uh, showing up with confidence in my own uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, <laughs> that's a thing that happens uh, that, that I think we need a lot of um, models for how that actually works well. Right. Uh, and there's a tentativeness there that that um, that I think is OK, <laughs> but that isn't conventional in the business sphere. Um, and yeah, and, and I want to um, specifically ask you uh, about the people in the building industry along these lines. Like you, you work with people who um, are very similar to us and that they work specifically with buildings. And I wonder if you can tell us about what you've observed of this community, these types mm-hmm. of people um, that particularly relates to these practices that you um, that that you're helping people with. Right, right. So first off, um, in a lot of ways, the work I do is totally agnostic when it comes to the context um, and the sector. So um, at the at the baseline, it's about, Recognizing our work is fundamentally change management, recognizing that climate change and sustainability um, domains, uh, environmental issues are a are traumatic, are very upsetting and very um, charged. And I don't care what, you know, if you're in law or business or med- medicine or, you know, that that's just a baseline that we need to be just always remembering. and that then ideally informs the way that we as practitioners show up. And so this might just sound really weird for folks who are more kind of um, technically oriented and operationally oriented. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, what are you saying? We need to talk about our feelings all the time or, you know, and and that's not what I'm suggesting at all. Um, What I find in the built environment sectors are, um, you know, individuals who are, tend to be um, uh, just, uh, there's that, that technical um, uh, orientation and approach, right, which is um, project management and, you know, like how buildings get 
you know, how they happen, which is not my realm. It's not my expertise at all. Um, but there's a tendency to want to just drive and push and, and not really taking a step back and recognizing that, well, wait a minute, how does this particular um, initiative or protocol, um, you know, how might this be, um, what might this be evoking for my stakeholders, for my partners, for my vendors? Um, and how can I create more opportunity for conversation, for listening, for ensuring that there's alignment and for um, managing people's responses to change? So um, there's that. And then there's the, um, the whole dimension of what we would call behavior change kind of um, occupant tenant engagement um you know how people uh function within the built environment and um that's been obviously has there's been a lot of evolution in that field over the years i remember when i was in portland i was doing connecting a lot with folks in the built environment with girding edlin and there was this was at the time when like the, the living buildings, like there was a lot going on. This was like around 20, 2008 to 10. Um, and I just, you know, it just seemed like we were just starting to get our heads around um, more um, just different ways of thinking about engaging people with changes in the built environment, like occupants and, and tenants that was going beyond just the let's create a building and then put people in it and expect big changes to happen. Um, and, and more of an evolution and recognizing the role of culture and, and um, that, you know, within organizations, there's, there's um, cultural change that needs to really do a lot of the heavy lifting um, in combination with the built, context the built environment so i'm seeing that evolution happening more and more where there's awareness and sensitivity to um, the need for engagement and what is engagement and what does that you know look like um but i i'd like to see people in the built environment uh sectors partnering more with um people like me um, with, with, or, and, or people who are more ethnographically oriented, who are really tuned into humans, because I think that's a really powerful, um, combination of expertise. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to unlock, mm -hmm. um, when you bring those disciplines and lenses together in new and, and, um, innovative ways. Renee, can you talk, you mentioned that the frame of the three A's, anxiety, ambivalence, and aspiration before, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how those play out in the world of the built environment. Well, I think it's taking a step back and considering what anxieties might this work be bringing up for my stakeholders or um, for who I'm working with. The ambivalent piece is maybe the most important and the most nuanced, 
because ambivalence shows up in a whole variety of ways. And it often shows up as, as um, either people are dismissive or they're slow to respond or um, they, they, they come up with a lot of reasons or excuses not to move forward on something. And I think it's really, really important that we learn to listen to that in a different way and that we don't interpret that as a lack of care or concern. So a lot of people working in these domains, they just feel so frustrated. Like, why don't people care more? Um, how do I get people to care? How do I get people motivated? And the three A's ideally completely reframe that and actually, you know, um, put that aside, like put that down. Like there's, there's, let's put down that assumption that it's about people not caring or being motivated. And instead replace that with what are the anxieties, where's the ambivalence and where's the aspiration that we can be working on and dialing into together. So it's a way of listening. It's a way of communicating. It's a way of messaging and, and bringing that into, um, into our work and in a whole variety of, of new ways. Oh man. Um, Renee, this is, amazing and I wish we could keep talking about it and we're we're about to run out of time and so um I just feel I, I feel like there's all these things I want to keep with me for <laughs> that we can continue the discussion about sometime lots offline. and lots of them <laughs> it's, it's so good it's so good and so fascinating and I, I yeah on all the levels especially I was just wish we had more time to talk about sort of behavior change and buildings and things but um, but we need to wrap up and we want to, we want to ask you another question. It's the question we like to end with, um, which is who is inspiring you these days? And it can be any person or anything, um, but hmm. really just what keeps you, what keeps you going? Hmm. Hmm. Gosh. Um, so much right now actually is inspiring me. Um, so I'm actually going to name someone that I've been working with um, at Google. So um, I am inspired right now by the team, by the Ruse Real Estate Workplace Services Sustainability Team that's led by Lynn Simon. I'm inspired by Kate Randolph right now <laughs> um, because um, and the whole team. But I'm inspired by Kate right now because she has really been on the front lines of really complex, you know, um, organizational change for years, um, integrating sustainability um, into the built environment at Google, which is really challenging. And what is inspiring to me is seeing an evolution in, um, in, approaching this as, as change management work, you know, like Kate has says, you know, what we're really doing is changing the DNA of decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really profound, that. right? Like this profound thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful one. Um, I, I a good cut, shout out to Kate, who I hope a lot of our listeners know and who we know and love. Um, and that is a, a wonderful way to wrap up. Um, so thank you, Renee. It's been such a pleasure to have you. We're very honored. And um, I hope everyone enjoyed and take some of these 
lessons with you and check out Project Inside Out. Um, and uh, hopefully it gives you some tools that you that you need to do your work. Uh, but thanks, Renee. It's been awesome to have you. Thank you so much. Love talking with both of you. Yay. All right. Well, that is it for us this week on Women in Sustainability Design the Future. Uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. Uh, please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.